when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Welcome to FT Politics, the Financial Times' podcast on all things British politics. I'm Sebastian Payne, and in this week's episode, we'll be dissecting the local election results and trying to figure out what, if anything, this tells us about the upcoming general election. I'm delighted to be joined by George Parker, the FT's political editor, political commentator Miranda Green, and Matt Singh from Number Crunch Politics. Thank you all for joining. So Britain has been to the polls this week in what would have been the most exciting political event of the year had it not been for June's general election. The results are still filtering through as of Friday afternoon, but the trends are clear. Labour is doing pretty badly in its provincial heartlands. UKIP's vote has completely collapsed. The Liberal Democrats' comeback has yet to arrive and the Tories are sweeping up, well, everywhere. Even in Scotland, they are winning in places they have never won before. So, George Parker, let's begin by looking at the overall picture. You know, the Conservatives expected to do pretty well, but they seem to be doing very well indeed. Yeah, and since this is the last big electoral test before the general election on June the 8th, we're all looking for harbingers of what's going to happen there. And it's an incredible night for Theresa May in particular. I mean, I think we are probably right in this case to personalise this. This is her triumph. It's a great night for the Conservative Party and a bad night in varying degrees for everyone else. And the only conclusion I think you can draw from this is that Theresa May is heading for a very large House of Commons majority on June the 8th, possibly into a landslide territory of more than 100 seats. So Matt Singh, can you just begin by telling us where we are with the numbers? The time of recording, it looks as if there's about a 7% swing to the Conservatives, which for a party in government is quite extraordinary. Normally it's opposition parties they gain at local elections. And I think someone's saying this is the best result for a governing party since 1974. Yes, I mean, we'll have to wait to see the final result. I mean, there's various ways of measuring it, but it looks as though the swing from 2013 is running, as you say, at about 7%. And in 2013, Labour won by three points nationally, so that would equate to a Conservative lead of about 10 or 11 points. Now, if you were to transpose that literally one for one without any adjustments into general election territory, that is an increased Conservative majority, albeit not a huge one. However, as you say governing party of the day tends to do less well in local elections than in general elections so it has to be seen in that context if you look back to the 1980s there are a couple of examples 1983 and 1987 where you had local elections a few weeks before a general election the only difference then of course the, the election hadn't already been called so it wasn't during the campaign so looking at all of these different factors going on it certainly confirms everything that we thought we knew already it's a little bit of uncertainty about how well the Tories are doing, but they're certainly doing very well. So Miranda Green, what is the cause for this then, that obviously people are pointing the finger towards Jeremy Corbyn, his leadership, that the party has sunk and sunk in the polls. It's a comfortable 20 points behind the Conservatives at the moment. We haven't heard from Jeremy. He's been mysteriously absent from the airwaves, but his supporters have been saying it's a mixed bag and they're pointing to the expected mayoral victories in Liverpool and Manchester. And the fact they've done a little bit better in Wales, which we'll come on to, but... Where does the blame lie for this? I think there are several factors at play. First of all, Labour has got such a huge problem with the Jeremy Corbyn repellence factor on the doorstep. 
And because we are in the middle of a general election campaign at the same time as holding the local elections, people are not really voting so much on local issues as you would usually expect them to. So while Matt is very correct to say that usually a midterm local elections is a chance to give the governing party a kicking, it is often also fought on genuinely local issues, whereas this time it's all about the context of a very strong Theresa May with this relentless strong and stable government slogan and a disastrously weak Labour leadership against the background of the country deciding to go with Theresa May on Brexit, even if they may have disagreed with Brexit on referendum night. And I think it's an unstoppable bandwagon. Yeah, and we haven't really spoken very much about UKIP yet, but the total collapse of the UKIP vote, the fact as we speak they haven't held on to a single one of the seats that they were contesting is a remarkable factor. And what it really reflects, as Miranda's alluding to there, is that Theresa May is basically playing the populace at their own game. You know, if you think about the drumbeat going into these local elections, the row with Brussels, the accusation... She's no put, doubt helped her very well. Yeah, she was saying that the European Commission was trying to interfere with the British election. If yeah, they interfered her. at all, it seems to have helped her because, you know, you're never going to lose votes by wrapping yourself in the flag. And I was listening to Neil Hamilton, UKIP member of the Welsh Assembly, saying today that she's adopted the mantle of Bodicea. And I think that's absolutely right. She has adopted that. She's in a chariot. She's crushing all her opponents under <laughs> the spiky wheels of this approach. And, you know, she was a reluctant Remainer who has become the Brexit Prime Minister. She's captured the mood of the country. We can't really dispute that. And she is taking on all comers and taking the Tory brand into places, as we were just discussing earlier, like Shettleston in Glasgow. It's an incredible day's results. So let's talk about UKIP for a moment, because this is, for me, the most interesting trend of this election, because UKIP, like a lot of populist parties started at a local level, they had their grassroots, they built that up, then they eventually got to their, what will probably seen as their zenith, by having two MPs in the House of Commons. As we've said, they've not got any seats at this time, and it does seem, Matt, as if that their vote has just gone back to the Tories, and this idea that the right of British politics has been split for about two decades, mostly over the EU issue, is now being reunited. And you've had Aaron Banks, who was formerly UKIP's big donor, saying it's now done. You've had Douglas Carswell, former MP, who also said it's done. And there's only really a handful of figures left, but it's hard to see how they rebound from this, particularly with the uh, in the general election. Yeah, it's, this is certainly an extremely bad result for UKIP. The interesting thing about what's behind it, though, is that UKIP has often been seen as a split on the right. But I think certainly in the last couple of elections, what's been going on is that the source of their support has actually been less clear cut than has been assumed. And to be honest, than what the polls were saying, I think this is one of the areas they're wrong in 2015. UKIP took an awful lot of support from Labour in 2015. And in fact, even people that had voted Conservatives in 2010 have voted Labour before that. So over time, a lot of these UKIP voters have been taken away from Labour. So what that means, contrary to the way some Labour people have been trying to spin it, that Labour's actually doing okay, it's really the UKIP vote collapsing and going back, in inverted commas, to the Tories. A lot of these people are people who used to vote Labour, who are in a lot of ways quite similar to traditional Labour voters. And more to the point, they're the kind of people Labour needs to win over if they're ever going to govern again, but whose support they've actually been hemorrhaging since 2005. So in actual fact, this collapse of UKIP is basically a loss of people who have been Labour in the past coming back onto the market. The Tories have taken advantage of it, Labour haven't. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And it's a disaster for Labour, potentially. And in the coalition years, there used to be a very cynical Tory interpretation that the coalition was introducing the idea 
of the Lib Dems as a gateway drug towards voting Tory. And of course, that's what happened in the 2015 election in spades. And it's almost as if with, you know, voting UKIP, voting Brexit has become a gateway drug to becoming a Conservative for a lot of working class voters. And that is phenomenal for the Tory party in terms of the potential general election result. And actually, once again, all credit to Theresa May's personal emphasis on this blue-collar Toryism and a whole raft of policy agenda issues which she's raised, which are non-free market traditional Tory territory as we saw under Cameron and Osborne. I think, George, is basically to show just enough leg to UKIP voters to say, you can come back to us now. So on things like grammar schools, on Brexit as well, taking a very tough approach, and on migration as well, sticking with that tens of thousands. It's not across the board, you know, she's kept the foreign aid target and there'll be other areas but it seems as if she's played that game quite well but still kept the centre-left people those gateway Lib Dems who you could have thought might have been disenfranchised but they don't seem to have gone either No, I mean I think the strategy of squeezing UKIP works well across the country it works well in the kind of seats that will determine the election, the con-Labour marginals in the North and the Midlands but it also works in the South West where the Tories are fighting the Lib Dems because if the Tories can squeeze the sizeable UKIP voters in a a leave in a very strong leave area that will insulate them from any recovery UKIP's not even standing in some of those seats they're handing the seat to the Tories on the plate effectively Exactly, going back to your point the question is how does the Tory manifesto look and Frankly, very few people in the Conservative Party know, apart from Nick Timothy, one of her co-chiefs of staff, who's drafting this manifesto. But I think it's going to be a manifesto which appeals right across the political spectrum. You've identified some of the policies which have basically been stolen straight from the UKIP manifesto in 2010. But there will be a load of stuff pitched directly at Labour voters as well. Still Ed rights. Miliband's manifesto. <laughs> Ed Miliband's manifesto. It's going to be, I think, quite an unideological manifesto designed to establish Tory hegemony right across the political spectrum. It's quite a weird situation to be in because Theresa May, up until she became Prime Minister, was seen as fairly unremarkable, I think, by some people, has been seen as very safe and steady. Yet she's in this position now where she's mistress of everything in front of her. This is one of the things that strikes me. I'm sadly old enough to remember Margaret Thatcher's first election. And at the time, she was regarded in the sort of sexist era we were living in as being sort of slightly housewifey, a bit timid and not particularly inspirational. And she grew into the Britannia image that developed around the time of the Falklands War. And I think what we're seeing with Theresa May is she is developing into the persona which has been projected onto her because of Brexit. And she, at the moment, is a formidable looking politician. Well, hopefully we won't have another war to try <laughs> to secure that position there. Let's look to Scotland, Matt, which, again... I can remember when Jeremy Corbyn became leader of the Labour Party, one of the big arguments was he'll bring back Scotland to Labour because he's more to the left and Scotland is thought to be a country of a couple pace to the left from the rest of the UK. That doesn't really seem to have happened in these elections based on what we've seen so far. No, it doesn't. What's happened in Scotland, and this obviously is based on other elections and polls up to now because we don't have very many Scottish results at the time we're doing this, but it does seem as though Scotland is very strongly split along constitutional lines. The pro-independent side is overwhelmingly with the SNP and some on the left of that section towards the Greens. Labour doesn't seem to be making a huge amount of progress about getting back those people, as I think it's perhaps not surprising while the constitutional issue remains live. On the other side of that line, the no side, there has been a big realignment among unionists. So the Conservatives narrowly beat Labour in the Holyrood election last year. All the indications are that they've consolidated that and they're now quite strongly ahead of Labour. And it looks as though we'll have to wait and see. I don't think we've had a lot of results in the northeast of Scotland yet, but the sorts of places where the Tories are trying to take seats in Scotland are probably the places where they seem to be doing best. 
we've sort of gone Miranda back to this old lines where it's not about left or right, it's about whether you're unist or not. And Ruth Davidson has done a very able job of basically saying the Conservatives, if you believe in the UK and the Union, then vote for the Scottish Tories. And she's done a pretty good job of detoxifying it, although there are still questions about how much this is the Scottish Conservatives and how much it is the party of Ruth Davidson. Yeah, she's a fantastically good leader and she's transformed their fortunes single-handed probably because she's very different from the southern Tories who are so resented in Scotland. Also, she has managed to really brilliantly deflect attention from the fact that she herself was a very strong advocate for Remain in the Brexit referendum and to divert the entire debate onto if you want to protect the union, you have to swing behind the Tories. It's going to be very interesting to watch when we get to the June 8th general election, whether that means a serious Tory revival in Scotland, but also whether a little bit of pro-union tactical voting against the SNP could work for the other two parties, the Lib Dems and Labour in Scotland as well. We've seen the Spectator magazine's got a guide to tactical voting about which way to go if you like the union. Let's look to Wales, George, and see what's happening there at the moment. So again, Labour has done a little bit better there. It's still had losses, but it's doing a bit better. Is that because there's less of a Corbyn factor there or something else going on? Well, I think you're clutching at straws if you're Labour and trying to draw some good news out of the elections by looking at Wales. I heard John McDonnell on the radio today saying, well, we held on to Blynau Gwent. I mean, for heaven's sake, if you can't hold on to Blynau Gwent, they've also lost control of a number of other seats, including Bridgend. So it's possible that there are special factors at play because actually we thought that the Tories would do especially well in Wales and there may be some glimmer of hope there. But, you know, you're clutching at straws there, I think, to be honest. Absolutely. And then the other thing, of course, is the Liberal Democrats because the party has seen a big surge in membership and in media activity and Tim Fowne has become a big figure so far during the campaign. Yet there hasn't seemed to have been a poll revival, particularly in the southwest, Miranda. That's right. I think the Lib Dems are in a really difficult position now coming into the general election. There are so a few sort of very local encouraging signs where they've picked up some local election Westminster seats that they're hoping to retake in June. But those are really small examples. Overall, if the country is going to replay the Brexit referendum and in a sense replay the 2015 general election where it's Tories or the rest, the Lib Dems can only lose out. So if they're looking at progress in June, they're looking at very slow progress and nothing dramatic. And in my view, they really should have spent time downplaying expectations when the election was called. There's been a lot of high talk about them becoming the official party of opposition, Matt, and all these sort of things, and particularly in the South West, which is a very Brexitarian George has been down there, and it doesn't look too hopeful. What's your take on that? It does all sound a bit go back to your constituencies and prepare for government-esque. I think that the expectations for Lib Dems, particularly among some of their supporters, have got pretty high over the last six months or so, partly on the back of these very strong performances they've been putting on in council by-elections. And the Richmond Park by-elections. And and the Richmond Park Westminster by-election. But I think the puzzle has been why are they doing so well in these council by-elections and that not being reflected in the national opinion polls. And I think what's happened in these local elections, admittedly mostly in leave areas, so they will have better prospects perhaps in the general election, but nevertheless they had been doing unbelievably well in council by-elections. And I think this kind of solves the mystery because it seems as though the extra effort and the targeting they were putting in in some of those council by-elections was making them unrepresentative. It was making them like Westminster by-elections. So it looks like they'll be up on 2013 overall, if not everywhere. But it does point, as Miranda says, towards a modest recovery, not a stonking great recovery. Yeah, you can see the Lib Dems doing well in metropolitan seats where the people still 
feel very aggrieved about the Brexit vote and, you know, seats like Vince Cable seat in Twickenham or Ed Davies seat in Kingston next door. But in their big West Country heartlands, big leave areas, they are facing serious problems, partly because Miranda was saying because UKIP are either declining or not even standing at all. And just because Theresa May's appeal pitches directly at those sort of people, the white working class voters that live in the West Country. And just look at Somerset, Paddy Ashdown's home county, where I thought the Lib Dems would make progress in these elections. They lost six seats. The Tories gained six seats. So any sign of a West Country revival is just not there. I think there's also been a really serious misunderstanding inside the Lib Dems themselves and also by people watching their chirpiness over the last couple of years, confusing the fact that Corbyn's Labour Party going off to the left, while it has created a debating space for them on the political spectrum, that is not the same thing as creating an electoral opportunity for Westminster seats because, in a sense, if people are going to vote on a strong Tory leader versus the rest... That is a choice where you can't make a case very clearly for a Lib Dem alternative. However much you try, as Tim Farron is trying to do, to argue about how you make up the opposition benches in the Commons, it's not a strong enough argument to challenge an overly dominant Tory brand and Tory message. I suppose this is also the problem, the idea of a political realignment of a new centrist party, the Democrats, that is what people have been talking about, taking the various liberal bits of other parties together. You could see where that could get some seats, but not necessarily in the commanding position. It does not work with a left-wing Labour leader or with a Labour leader of whom the public is scared, in a sense. If the public do not want to put the Labour leader into Downing Street then they vote Tory and it's as simple as that. And that's a huge problem for the Lib Dems, except, as George was quite rightly saying, they do have good prospects in some metropolitan areas where people feel strongly about Remain and also actually in some Labour-facing seats, they're quite cheerful. So I think those might be the ones to watch for the Lib Dems in June. And right here in Bermondsey is a good example of that. So finally, let's just look forward to what everyone wants to know. What does this mean for the general election? How much of these trends that we've talked about here, Matt, do you think will be reflected on June the 8th? I think the thing that will very likely be reflected is the pattern, the sort of which parties are doing better in which areas, which sort of voters seem to be switching around, who's going where. As I say, the in terms of the overall level, that's a little bit harder to work out. Certainly everything points strongly towards a Conservative victory. It's just simply the case of how big. I don't see anything really to contradict what the opinion polls are saying at the moment. It looks like being big. And George? Well, I think that's right. I, I suppose the big danger which you see reflected in some of the interviews Conservative ministers have been giving today is a sense of complacency. It's all in the bag for Theresa May and therefore it gives people permission to vote for the Lib Dems or vote Labour to provide an effective opposition. That's the only thing that I think that could put a dent in Theresa May's otherwise enormous majority. I still reckon a 70 or 80 Tory majority. I think I do as well. Labour's got those very deep roots in society. Mm. I think demolishing that, you know, we're seeing some of them being uprooted now, but it's still pretty deep. And finally, Miranda, what's your final thoughts on this? I think the Tory bandwagon is pretty unstoppable. And whilst we still have quite a long time to go till June the 8th, it is hard to see any kind of news events helping the other side. Because as we've seen demonstrated this week, the rolling Brexit story is turning into the UK versus the mean old European Union. And that just helps the Tory party every day with more and more voters deciding to stick with Bodicea. So imagine Theresa May will be asking Mr Juncker to make more interventions and come to dinner more often in that case then. Well, that's it for this episode of FT Politics. You can follow all of our election and local election coverage on FT.com and also don't forget to sign up to our election countdown email in your inbox every evening. You can see what's been happening that day. Thank you very much to 
Matt, George and Miranda for joining. We'll be back next week for another instalment. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.